0: Just got some new toys. Anybody get new toys? Go ahead. You can raise your hand. My son's like, am I supposed to tell people? Anybody get some new cologne or perfume? couple, yeah, all right, all right. Some new boots or scarves, huh? I got some of those. Anybody not get the thing that they requested? No, don't raise your hand. All kinds of new stuff for Christmas, and then many people... Got to celebrate the new year. I don't think it's ever been celebrated as much as this year. And I'm pretty confident most of the world was ready for a new year. We're all hoping that 2021 brings new things and we can just start new. And so this morning, I just want to talk for a little bit about it's time for new things. It's time for new things. Praise God. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but God likes new things. After all, we were made in His image, and we like new things. Even if it's new to you, I got a new car. Well, it's not new, but it's new to you, and so that's just as exciting. We like new things, and God also, us being created in His image, He likes new things. That's interesting. Let me show you scripturally. I mean, check this out. Scripture tells us about how he specializes in making old things new. Look at Psalm 96.1 even. It says, I will, it's a sing unto the Lord a, a new song. And I'm thankful for this verse. Have you ever sang a song in church so many times that you're just like, thank God for the song, but I hope we never sing it again. Anybody ever have a song? You got any one of those songs? I want to got we got only 3 honest people in the, in the church today. I remember when uh, I am a friend of God came out. Man, that song was great. I loved that song. Like I just wept to that song and I worshiped to that song. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. But then I had heard it 4973 times over the course of 4973 weekends and I was like That song needs to just go in the Hall of Fame, put it in retirement, and let's just remember what it was. I'm thankful. God's just singing to me a a new song. And look also at his plan for our future, for eternity. When you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, it says, John, the revelator, he's writing down what he's seeing and what God's giving him. He says, I saw a, a new heaven. And a new earth, the old heaven and old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city. It was a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully adorned or dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. I tell you what. I enjoy my life on this earth. I am a blessed man. A blessed man. But I am looking forward to eternity. I am looking forward to being in that, in that environment. In the one sitting on the throne in verse 5. Look, I am making everything. New. God likes new things. I think this is why he fashioned our world. Well, no, other people made the calendar. No, no, no. God's in charge of all things. I think that's why he fashioned our world to have a new day every 24 hours. A new month every 28 to 31 days. A new year every 365 days. We get these little pauses of fresh new starts. How many of you have ever felt, I mean, we just felt it with a year. 2020, oh man, I hope 2021's different. But have we ever had a bad day? Has anyone here ever had a bad day before where you sit down, you know, my kids and I, will talk about what's the best part of your day today and we'll talk through it. And every once in just a blue moon, They'll say, what was the best part of your day, dad? And normally I got a list and I want to say one thing. Every once in a while, I'm just like, right now going to bed. (laughs) How many of you can relate to that? Anyone have one of those days ever, maybe recently? You just have a day where you say, thank God I can lay my head in this pillow and tomorrow will be different. I thank God for new, fresh starts. This realization is what caused Jeremiah to write this down in Lamentations 3. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. I mean, when you understand what that means, aren't you grateful for that, that every single morning... That sunrise points to his faithfulness. It goes down and it rises. Every day you can wake up and say, I might not see the sun, but I know it's there. I feel its warmth. I see the rays. I know that God is faithful. Just I see his faithfulness in creation. Every day is a blessing from God. And then it says, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, you ever see a therefore? You know what it's there for they're putting it there it's therefore therefore because of what i just read because of what i just heard the lord's my portion therefore i'm going to hope in him he's he's the one he's the one that every day the mercies are new therefore i can wake up with hope today every single day is a new start therefore I can get up knowing, hey, yesterday was a bad day, but because of his faithfulness, because of his, his goodness, because of his mercy, I can wake up new and say, therefore, therefore I have hope. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how many times that you have failed, his mercy is new today. If you believe the Bible, then you can believe that God is saying, today is a new day for mercy. Someone online or in this house needs to hear that. Today is a new day for mercy. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus about new birth in John 3, he said that new birth included being born of the water and of the spirit. And as James talked about, Brother Chester talked about this morning, we can roll open these doors and there is clean, warm water, clothes to change in, rooms to go. If you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the removal, the cancellation of all of your sins and mistakes, You can have a new day to do that right here today before you leave. I mean, I'll tell you what, there's not many things. When my kids tonight say, what was the best part of your day? I would love to say that at the first service of 2021, we baptized multiple people and had Jesus wash their sins away. I would love that. And so today is the day you can experience newness, new birth. And after all, the Bible says that God wants to make all of us a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes and says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. God likes new things. Well, does that mean he wants to give up on me? No, no, no. He just wants to make you New. He wants to give you a new heart instead of the stony heart of flesh, Ezekiel talks about. So, God, He likes new things. 2020 just left a few days ago. 2021 has begun. Out with the old, in with the new. But how many of us know that our past often tries to dictate our future? You hear a message like this, and and some of you are like, yeah, that's great, but if you're in the heart of a failure or a tough time or a difficulty or a struggle or an anxious moment, the minute you start to hear that, you're like, yeah, that's good, but then you're past immediately, right while you're sitting here, right during this message, yeah, but look what you just did. I mean, look at look what you did last week, look at what, look at, if everybody knew what you did and said and thought and places you went. If anybody, if people in this place knew that, man, you might, you might not be welcome here. You might, not, you might not, you know, this is what your brain starts to say, and it's all dictated on lies. It's all based on lies, lies that are all correlated with your past, your past choices, your past failures, your past mistakes that try to tell you, well, you don't really have much of a future because of what you did back there. But that's, that's not the will of God. When God makes something new, how many verses did we just read that said he makes something new? He brought a new heaven and new earth. The old heaven and the old earth have passed away. Why does scripture continually talk about, oh, he's going to make you a new creature. The old things are passed away. Why does God not only emphasize the newness of something, he emphasizes the newness of something, and he also emphasizes the oldness being gone? You ever notice that? Look what we just read. If we went back through every verse and he made a a new heaven and a new earth, behold, the old heaven and the old earth passed away. I make you a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. See, when you come to Christ, if you say, you know what, Lord, I I don't want my past to dictate my future anymore. God's into new things. Well, he's not going to be into me then because I don't really have anything new to offer. I only have all all this old past garbage to offer. Yeah, but that's what he's great at is when you bring him old things, he takes the old things, he gets rid of them, and he rearranges them to make something new. I'm thankful for that. When God calls us a new new future, it comes with a call to release the weights and sins of the past, to allow him to remake us and mold us and shape us. It's interesting. When you go to Genesis chapter 23, the entire chapter, I won't read it. The entire chapter of Genesis 23 is all about one thing the death and burial of Abraham's wife Sarah. The whole chapter. Most people in the Bible, you get a line. And they went to the place of their fathers and he was buried in that that cave. That's all you get. You just get a line. And that person went to that and they traveled up there and they gave up their last breath and they were buried in that place. You get one verse. What in the world did Sarah do to get a whole chapter? I mean, like, The whole entire chapter was just about Sarah. With Sarah, we read about where Abraham was, where he decided to bury her, how much he paid for the burial plot. Why? I mean, why? You read this and go, why do I care about this information? Imagine if you read the obituary. And it's just giving information on you. It's like, they were buried here in this plot. Here's how much they paid for the plot. Here's the conversation that they had in negotiation. The whole thing, 23, Genesis 23, is, that, is Abraham's negotiation for the plot. Here this just like, okay, Sarah died, he buried her there. Well, let's move on. Why are, we, why are we spending a whole chapter on this? But I think there's reason. Look at Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah's 127 years old. She died at a place called Hebron in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned for her. He wept for her. And leaving her body, he said to the high tide elders, here, I am a stranger and a foreigner among you. So this is not his home. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. Let's stop there. In times of antiquity, these ancient times, a body was taken back to an ancestral homeland. You'll read it over and over again throughout scripture. Someone dies, you read about it in Joseph. I mean, literally, he dies in Egypt, oh, carry his body back. You can't, you, know, you, you were taken back to your ancestral homeland. Why is Abraham having this conversation? He probably could have taken his wife's body back to his ancestral homeland for free and not paid anything. But here, he's speaking to these high tide elders, and he's, he, he's, he's saying, I, I, I need to have it, and, and we need to, how much? And, and they start saying, no, no, we want a good relationship with you. You just go ahead and have it. He says, no, no, I, I, I want to I pay for it because I don't want this, like, you can just put your wife's body in this place. I want to own it. Interesting. If Abraham would have taken his wife's body back to the ancestral homeland, it would have required Abraham to go back to the place that God had already called him out of. And Abraham refused, I will not go back to any place that God has already called me out of. How many times do we struggle as believers because we're willing to go back to things that God has already called us out of? And scripture says in another thing, they're in Canaan. This is the land of promise. This is what God had promised them, but they did not yet own that promise. They did not yet own occupy the promise, but Abraham being a man of faith, the father of the faithful, not only did he refuse to go backward, but he also refused to, he he didn't want to go back to what God called him out of, but he was also, even though this was not, he did not possess the promise yet, Abraham was the first one to own a piece of the promise. Don't just let me bury, they would have given it to him for free, but then he wouldn't have owned it. It would have just been the place where they let me bury my wife. He said, no, 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 I'm going to pay you for this. Why? Because one day, God spoke to me already, and one day, we are going to possess this land, and as the father of the faithful, I'm going to be the first one who has paid a price to call it my own. But in order to call it his own, he had to be willing to invest something into it, and he had to be willing to not go back to what God called him out of. And Abraham, he's obviously passionate about this because look just, a, just the next chapter, a couple verses later, he sends his servant to go find a wife now for his son, Isaac. In Genesis 24, one, Abraham was now a very old man. The Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of the household, he said, take an oath, put your hand under my thigh. Thank God we don't take oaths like that anymore. I mean, could you imagine that? Like, hey, Matt, I need you to come promise me something. Come over here. <laughs> Put your hand under my thigh. you would be like, dude, you not. Uh, you keep your promise. He says, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. You see, because, oh, man, I could go on for this a while. Because even though you're on your way to possessing your promise and God has a plan for your life, Abraham fully understood that the one way that you could get off course from possessing your promise is to get distracted by the Canaanites. Meaning the people of the world, the children of the world. Now, God placed him in the land of Canaan, just like you have been placed in this earth. But just because he placed you in this earth does not mean that he's called you to marry someone that does not believe what you believe. And does not love God and live for him the way you live for him. Because nothing will mess you up faster. I don't know how many, I probably say this 50 times a year. And yet I counsel people in the remnants of the destruction over and over. Nothing will mess you up faster than pursuing or allow someone to pursue you that does not hold the same belief system you do. (laughs) Promise me, don't let my son marry the local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant, you know, thinking ahead, well, what if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel? So I got it. Don't go to the Canaanite women. You want me to go back to your homeland? So now if I find a great and godly and beautiful woman who says, I'll marry Isaac, but I don't want to move from mom and dad. What do I do then? Should I just then take Isaac and just head back to your homeland? Is that a good idea? Look at Abraham's response. No! Exclamation point. Not no. No, nah, it wasn't nah, no, nah, uh. No! Be careful. Never. To take my son there. Wow, did he have that bad of a home life? I mean, like, he's pretty passionate about this. No, don't take my son back there. Whoa, you all right, man? Why is he so passionate about this? He tells us. We don't have to figure it out. Verse seven. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took My father's house and took me from my father's house, my native land, solemnly promised to give this land. We don't have it yet, but the land we're in right now, he promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send an angel uh, ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find my wife a son What is Abraham saying here? God has called me to possess a promise. Don't you dare take my son back to something that God has already called me out of. Because if you take my son back to something that God has already called him out of and called me out of, it will directly impact his ability to possess the promise. How many of us watching online or here today are losing the ability to possess the promise because we're willing to go back into things that God has already delivered us from and set us free from and called us out of? I don't ever want to go back to anything that God's called me out of, and I want to make sure that my kids never go back to anything that God has called us out of. I'll tell you what, I should, when you, when you talk to me, my mom, and you see stories and you read and you, you see pictures about my dad being a drug, a, drug addict and owing drug dealers money and stealing from the restaurants that he worked at because he owed drug dealers money, sleeping with shotguns on the sides of his bed, I was born into that. Me and my sister were born into that, doing drugs at the kitchen table, in and, 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 and the mug shots that he'd carry around, but God changed his life. I'll tell you what, what happens, what does statistics say, what does society, what does research point to? If my dad doesn't have a come to Jesus moment, most likely according to statistics, I'm definitely not pastoring and I'm probably shooting up somewhere. The power of decisions. What if my dad had a a Jesus experience? Wow, filled with the Spirit, baptized, changed life. And while he's raising me, decides to go back and try it again. Where am I? The power of the influence of our home. Abraham said, no, 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 I'm not only. oh Sarah's body, can, for free, you take it back. No, no, stop. I will not take my wife back and bury her in a place that God already called me out of. Why? Because I'm never going to go, because I'm not going to be around to see her. I'm, I'm moving forward into something different. Oh, what about your son? Because if I can't, stop, no. I didn't take my wife back, and I don't want my boy. Going backwards into a place that God has called me out of. Why? Because I'm thinking about the future. God has given a promise. We're not ha- we have not yet possessed the promise. God has given us a promise of a new Jerusalem, of eternity with him. We're going to be his presence forever and ever. That is our land of promise. And if we're not careful, our kids start to go back into things that he's called us out of, and they will miss out on the promise. I don't want my kids to miss out on a new Jerusalem. I want to make sure that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's why later... God got so angry when Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Egypt's a type of sin. They were in bondage there for 430 years. And he goes leading them out of Egypt, out of sin. They come up to the Red Sea. And and what happens is you read stories, and every single time they hit a roadblock, they hit uh, something in the way, they just stopped them and go, take us back to Egypt. Read it. It happens so many times. Take us back to Egypt. I stubbed my toe. Ah, oh, no, they didn't have speakers in Egypt. Take me back to Egypt. I had to eat, man. I had to eat. Ah, they served me leeks and onions back then. Take me back to Egypt. Leeks and onions, man. I would have never wanted to go back to Egypt. Take me back to Egypt. Look, look, they, they get to the Red Sea, and this is their first real obstacle. They're, they're leaving Egypt, hit the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army's behind them. They're looking, Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies. Red Sea, Pharaoh's army. Why did you bring us here to die? Could you imagine getting to lead those people? Pharaoh drew nigh, and the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and they saw the Egyptians marching toward them. They cried out. They were sore afraid. And Moses said, "Because they said to Moses, look, verse, verse 11. What, because there were no graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here in the wilderness? You dealt with us like this to carry us out of here. You brought us out here to die. Verse 12, is this not the word we told you in Egypt? So, hang on. They actually were complaining in Egypt before they even left? Should have given Moses, like Moses At that point, if that's me, I'm like, No, you know what? I'm I'm quitting. I haven't even started this job and I'm done. Y'all are complaining before we even left on the journey. You ever have that? You go to take your kids somewhere exciting and you're like, This is gonna be great. We're gonna go, it's a surprise, and they start complaining in the house before you get in the car. (laughs) You're like, Y'all don't wanna go to the promised land, you can stay here and eat manna. Eat leeks and onions. He says, let us alone. We told you that we can serve the Egyptians. You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, when you're you're not living in bondage and you watch people live in bondage, it's so hard to picture how they could be content living in bondage. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about slavery in its literal sense, maybe in some cases, definitely in the Old Testament, but talking about the fact that People that need to wake up, i got to get up multiple times a night, keep a pack of cigarettes on my nightstand because I've got to have my smoke two in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. And you hear this story, and you're like, man, how do you live like that? And that's not in an arrogant way. We all have struggles. We go through things. But But it's incredible to me that sometimes people say, I, would, I wish you would just left us in Egypt, left, left me in slavery. Because slavery, that bondage mentality, It's so predictable. Walking with God requires faith. And that can be very difficult. And so some people say, I'd rather just live in the bondage of sin. Because at least I know what to expect every day. Wow. You know, we just wanted to say, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What a man of faith. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you're not going to see him ever ever again. The Lord will fight for you and he'll hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou to me? Speak to the children of Israel. Very simple message. Look at the simple message he says Go forward. Some of you wish I'd preach shorter messages like that once in a while. I mean, next Sunday I could say, you know, here's what the Lord said Go forward. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Some of you'd be like, What? I got ripped off. I drove all the way for this. And others of you'd be like, Woo! This is great. I'm going to beat the crowds to the restaurant. That's it. God literally says, Why are you sitting here crying? I just wonder how many times we're sitting around crying in the middle of our obstacle and we got Egyptians behind, Red Sea in front of oh, yeah, yeah, us. Ah. And God's like, why are you crying? If I told you to go forward and I had a promise for you, why did you stop? Yeah. Well, because the obstacle so so the obstacle is the obstacle is greater than my word? I told you to move forward. The message hasn't changed? Well yes it did once we hit the Red Sea. So the obstacle has now become you have now put more faith in the obstacle than in your God. And so they Moses, thank God, he's got the faith. He goes, and the water just parts. Just like this aisle. Just walk through on dry ground. And then they had a worship service, of course, until the next obstacle. Humanity stinks sometimes. Because we can read the story and say, oh, what a bunch of knuckleheads. Yeah, but if you followed me around and wrote about my choices over the next several months, you'd find out that humanity just hasn't changed much. Because we tend to focus on that visible thing that looks so big. And we stop when God says, well, we want to go back. We want to go back. No, 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 no. I didn't tell you to go back. Why would you go back to the thing that I just called you out of? Why would you go back to the thing that I just delivered you from? Why would you go back? Is it because of fear? Is it because you think I left you? Is it because you think I'm a a bad navigator that, that I led you to the Red Sea? No, 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 no. I didn't tell you to go back. I told you to go forward. And so, but guess what? Believers... Sometimes we stop moving forward. We panic and stop moving forward when we feel anxious, overwhelmed, the enemies surrounding us, the next few steps are uncertain, or we feel like God is no longer working on our behalf. And then we panic and we stop. But hear me when I say, if God has called you out of something, he never leaves you in the wilderness. You might travel through destitute and wilderness places, where he teaches you things but if god has called you out of something it is never because oh, i just want to punish them i just want no it is i'm developing you for the promise that i have on the horizon yeah. and so if he calls you out don't go back don't return cut ties on some things for some of us i think it's just time that we just cut the ties on some things. If there are certain people or situations or devices that are causing you to fall over and over and over again, why are they still in your life? Yeah. Cut ties with that and say, I'm not a slave to my past anymore. Why in the world would I allow a, a ball and chain to continue to be on when God already set and free and there's no lock on it, but I'm like, I just got so used to carrying it around. Why? Let the stuff go and walk away and go possess the promise. And Jesus, you flip to the New Testament, I'll keep moving. He he, he uses the same concepts in the New Testament. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said to him, no man having his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, I'm trying to work in the field. You know, I think, I, I'm not a farmer. Do you know when in, in undergrad, I took a personal interest inventory test because I didn't want to be one of those people that changed my major seven times. And I heard the average was six at that time. And I was like, I don't want to be that. So I took a personal interest inventory test. And do you know that one of the things it said in there was that I had similar interests to a farmer? <laughs> now, what do you guys think? You think I could make a decent farmer? I'm going to try not to be offended that almost every one of you said no. Farmer Gary, Farmer Dornbach. I could rock those overalls. (laughs) But you see, I would imagine, I'm not a farmer. I laughed when I saw that. Didn't trust the test anymore. But... I understand it's pretty important to 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 work in rows and keep things organized. That part I'd like. Imagine trying to if you can't understand that and you're like, I just can't picture being a farmer. Imagine trying to drive like that. Now some of you get nervous because I'm getting by this step and <laughs> Jesus says, Nobody working in my kingdom in the field is fit if you're trying to work forward while looking backwards. And then he says in Luke 17, 32, another short message. Jesus was a, uh, pe- no wonder if crowds followed him. Listen to this message. Remember Lot's wife. <laughs> I know some of you are just praying I'm going to get a revelation and preach like Jesus. <laughs> just remember he had more anointing than me. It takes me longer. He just says, remember Lot's wife. Well, Lot's wife, what happened? Uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his wife, they're in Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, go get him. Abraham's interceding for him. He says, go get him, get him out of there. I'm gonna destroy the city with fire and brimstone, but I have a command, don't look backward. When you're walking away from something and you decide to look back, what does that say? My, my heart is still with them. I miss that. I i that. I've called you out of something. I have a promise for you, but don't look back to the place that I'm calling you out of. Lot's wife, she starts walking. The Bible says she turns into a pillar of salt, never lives again. And guess what? That decision, you want to read on? It destroys their family. Those daughters get their dad drunk and try to continue on that lineage with their own dad. I mean, Crazy stuff. Does that happen if mom doesn't make the decision to look back of what God called her out of? It influences your family when God calls you out of something, and you're trying to walk and possess the promise, but your heart, you let your heart still be with the things that He's calling you out of. So God's just He Jesus, He just gets up. They knew the story. He didn't have to go in depth. He just says, Hey, remember Lot's wife? And that was enough. And I bring you to a close with, when I look back at Isaiah, dealing with Israel and the Old Testament prophet, the time of Babylonian exile, they've made terrible choices to get to this place. It's definitely not God's fault. They were the ones that got themselves here in Babylonian exile after they have possessed the promise. They're in the promised land and they lose it. I don't know, some of you watching online here today, you probably can relate to that. Man, I was walking, I let things go, but somewhere I lost it. Isaiah 43, God begins to speak to his people in the middle of exile. He says, oh, Jacob, listen to what the Lord says who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you. He says, do not be afraid. I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you from the, uh, and your children from the east and the west. I love it because when God calls people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob here in exile, I love that he always has a plan for our children too. This is not just a personal commitment and a personal decision. This is a generational thing. He says, I'll say from the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back. Bring all who claim me as their God. I've made them for my glory. It is I who created them. Verse 16, I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path. Everything is connected. He's going back to Moses. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt and all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves. They drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. You guys saw some awesome stuff. But forget it all. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. They had experienced incredible things. They're in the middle of exile, in the middle of, we have failed you completely. We've worshipped pagan gods. We have messed up. We fell flat on our faces. We're in Babylon exile. This is terrible. Our lives are terrible. We're, in, we're s- slaves again. Even after you delivered us, we went back to it. Oh, God, this is terrible. God shows up in the middle of their low point and says, I called you by name. I created you. You're mine. You think you saw awesome things before. You ain't seen nothing yet. He says in verse 19, For I am about to do something new. God likes new things. Amen. I'm going to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers to dry wasteland. What's he talking about? A new thing. Well, yeah, they're going to come back again, and he's going to gather them for the four corners of the earth, and they're going to be a nation again. Yes, but there's more. It's more than just, I'm going to let you have a nation and possess the promised land again. Verse 25 says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for your own sake and will never think about them again. Here they are in the middle of exile. They let God down. They fell again. They're back in bondage after God had already delivered them from bondage. They went back to bondage. You know what that kind of hopeless feels feel, feeling feels like? No doubt you probably do because I do too where you return to something that God already called you out of and you're beating yourself up and you say, I can't go back to the church. I can't go back to the altar. I can't do these things because I messed up. I'm a failure. God probably is never going to use me. I probably messed up my future. I don't have a call anymore. What's going to happen to my kids? And then God shows up and says, I still have a plan for you and for your children. And yes, yes, oh, that's great. We're going to get to possess the land again. No, 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 no. It's more than that. You've been practicing animal sacrifice and killing an animal and making atonement to push your sins back one more year and one more year and it never actually took care of them. But listen to my plan one day on the horizon. I am going to show up. I'm going to roll myself in flesh and I will personally blot out. How do you blot out? Blot out means cancel, remove all the record that was against you. Paul uses that same language in the New Testament to Colossians. I'm going to blot out all the ordinances, all the things that you've done, all the things, all the accusations that have been made against you, all of the sin that is on your record. Here's, I'm going to do a new thing. They've already possessed the land before. That wasn't a new thing. What's he talking about when he says, I'm going to do a new thing? Well, yeah, he's going to bring the people back and they'll possess the land. They already did that. Yes, that was going to happen again. But the new thing was verse 25. I'm going to blot out all the things that you've ever done wrong. Every mistake and poor choice you made, I'm going to blot that out. And guess what? I'm not just going to blot it out. I will make the choice. I will never think of them again. As far as the east is from the west. When I blot out your sins. That's the greatest miracle of all. Yeah, but the Red Sea and walking through on dry ground, yeah, but the plague's, it ain't nothing to God taking a terrible, sinful, unfaithful man or woman and saying, hey, I'm still calling you by your name. You're not just a sinner to me, you're still Gary Dornbach. You're still the person who I created and I called and I delivered and I set you free. So today I'm talking to you right now, the person who has messed up in 2020. You have have thoroughly messed up, you've missed it, you've made a mistake, you've lived in sin, you've allowed addiction to come back, you've returned to things that God's delivered you out of. I'm telling you what, God is preaching a message right to you today you've allowed yourself to go back. You let them down. But now you're looking at an uncertain road and you're wondering where to go next. I want you to hear that God is looking at you and saying, I called you by name. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for your children. I still have a promise that I want you to possess. And I'm here to tell you I'm going to do something new. I want to blot out your sins. I want to forget them. And you know what? Oh, sometimes when we repent, we're the only one. We start to say, well, give yeah, God, but what about this? He says, I don't remember that. Yeah, but but what about when I did this? I I don't remember that. Yeah, but that time that I, I, I don't remember that. That's literally what God is saying when we bring him something, and he blots it out, and we say, God, I'm sorry. I need you. I'm talking to someone today that needs to hear this message, that needs to hear the fact that 2020 is gone. You serve a God who likes new things, and he wants to make you a new creature, and he wants you to experience new birth, and he wants to prepare you for a, a new Jerusalem, and he wants you to know that he makes all things new, and when he does that, the old things are passed away. So today why would you walk out continuing to live in bondage when you can come to an altar right at this second right now as I speak that is your invitation you can come to this altar at this very moment and walk up here and raise hands or bow a knee and say God I am sorry God I need something new God I need a fresh start and when I do that I need the old things to pass away I want new things in my life, God. I want new birth. I want to be a new creature. I want to see you in new Jerusalem. Oh, God, help me. I don't want to return to the things that you called me out of. I don't want to go backward. It might be inconvenient. It would have been, but Abraham, he says, I'm not going back to the ancestral homeland. Don't you dare take my son back to my ancestral homeland. No, 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 no. We're going forward. We're going forward. When God started calling me forward, I'm never going back. Is that your decision today? Or is it up for discussion? Are there still some things in your life? You say, Well, I might go back for this, and I might no 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 no. Is there there has to be a decision from every person from young to old that says, I am not going back. I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's not up for discussion. I'm going forward. I'm not returning to what he called me out of. Jesus, help us in 2021. Help us, Lord to pursue the promise, to possess the promise.